on this episode of What on Earth Can We Do? Colleen considers gardening as a hobby. Gregory confronts an early childhood trauma that resulted from an animated feature film. And we learn how land reclamation may just save the planet. Hello, and welcome to episode two of What on Earth Can We Do? Hi. Uh, my name is Gregory Caswell, and I'm the executive director for the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And I am Colleen Nook, and I'm the founder of Hoopla Media. And what we've set out to do on What on Earth Can We Do? Uh, I have this amazing privilege as the executive director of the Alberta Emerald Foundation to come in contact with uh, people in our province who are eco-heroes in a lot of ways. Uh, but when I take a step back and look at myself, I realize that I am not doing the greatest uh, when it comes to sustainability. And I would really like to know what on earth can I do because the problems of climate change uh, are evident and I feel like I could be doing more. And Colleen, what's what's your, your thought well, around that? Well, basically, I've just been tagging along <laughs> on these creative projects, and it's really inspired me to make a few changes in my life. So that's why I'm here. So today's episode. Today's episode. So first, let's start with a story. Um, so when I was growing up, I really loved animated movies. And one that I definitely loved enough to that it still sticks with me today was Fern Gully. I've never seen Fern Gully. Can so, you give a quick plot line? So let me give you the plot line from what I remember from when I was eight years old. Yeah, so it's gonna, an old movie. I'm right? gonna flashback probably 31 years. I provide you. So no pressure. It took place in the rainforest, and there were some fairies. Uh, the main character was a, a female fairy, but her community was being threatened by the oil company that was coming in to tear down the the rainforest and the villain i think i'm remembering this remembering this correctly i'm sorry if if i'm not was this uh big gigantic machine that was like filled with oil that was coming to destroy everything and it was very scary ultimately in the end through the help of robin williams like every other animated feature they were able to conquer the the villain and we all left with a little bit more of environmental awareness but what really stuck out with me and maybe maybe uh affected my understanding of uh companies going in to use the land's resources was that ultimately it was dead at the end of the day or we as humans couldn't do anything about that and it made me very scared and yeah. still kind of and that humans are evil yeah and just sort of had this belief ever since that if an oil company or a gas company or any sort of company is going into a place to uh, i don't know dig for for whatever that after they're done it's dead that's like yeah neutral space or uh something that we can't use yeah and so that's really affected me and I, yeah well it's very it's a, it's a, it's I just read the synopsis too, and it sounds like a very uplifting movie. <laughs> uplifting children's animated movie. Yeah, it was very 80s. Let's find out. What on earth can we do? Here are the facts. First off, what is land reclamation? Land reclamation is the process of reconverting disturbed land to its former use or other productive uses. So this is usually done to land that has been used for natural resource development. So I think it's important to say that Canada is the fourth largest producer and the fourth largest exporter of oil in the world, which I'm sure everybody knows. And obviously most of that production comes from Alberta. 
So I was starting to dig deeper into some of these stats, but it went way over my head, like how much land does Alberta use for oil and gas or mining? So I decided to just stick with this stat, which basically says that we have a lot of oil in Alberta, so naturally a large portion of this is disturbed. The government of Alberta requires companies to reclaim 100% of land. So after the oil is extracted, each section of a mining company's lease must be returned to a state that's equivalent to what it was before a tree was cut or a shovel hits the dirt, um, but it doesn't have to be identical. So I'm very pleased today to welcome to the What on Earth Can We Do podcast, Dr. Valerie Miller and Dr. Ann Nath uh, from the University of Alberta, who are here to talk to us about uh, land reclamation um, and what on earth we can do in our own personal lives. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Uh, so for those out there who are uh, just learning about land reclamation, can you give us sort of like the entry level definition of what land reclamation is? Uh, so land reclamation is essentially healing the earth after it's been damaged. It's where we take damaged, degraded lands. It could be damaged by human activity or natural disasters. And we try and reclaim it or fix it to something else. It might be taking it back to what it was before, or it might be taking it to something new. And that's essentially what land reclamation is. Where would we see this uh, in, in business and uh, around the province? What, what are some examples? Uh, so we see land reclamation in most uh, natural resource businesses. So the oil sands, uh, coal mining, uh, well sites. Uh, as we shift into a renewable energy future, we see it with solar farms and wind turbines that we'll have to start reclaiming that land. We also see it in urban settings where we might not be taking urban disturbances back to what was there before, like a forest, but maybe we're creating parks or other buildings, and that's still a type of reclamation. Uh, can you provide some examples of what that would actually entail, like what, what people would go in and, and do to reclaim land? Uh, so the first step we do when we are reclaiming land is we figure out what we want to reclaim it to. So determining your end land use or what your final goal of reclamation is, is the most important step of reclamation uh, because that determines what soil you build and plants you're going to put down is what your final end land use is. Uh, and that also might be based on what was there previously. So we look at what vegetation has been there in the past, what soil has been there in the past. Uh, so it's very important for companies, for land reclamation practitioners, to have a good sense of what was there previous so we can figure out whether we're going to put that back or something else. Uh, and then the steps of reclamation, there's a lot of different components you have to consider. If there's contaminants, things like diesel in the soil uh, or metals in the the water in the soil, we have to remove that and that's called remediation. That can be done in various different ways depending on what the contaminant is. Then we have to figure out what soil to have. In some cases we've stockpiled soil, so that means we've removed it prior to a disturbance and then we can put it back after a disturbance. But in some cases we don't have that stockpiled soil or that stockpiled soil is in poor condition. So we might need to build a new soil using other materials or amend the soil. So that means add something to it, add something like manure or fertilizer or compost to that soil to make it good for plants to grow or meet other needs that we have. We have to grow plants, so we have to figure out what plants are most appropriate, what mix of plants, 
how we're going to plant those plants. We might seed the ground or we might do transplants, uh, so we have to grow those plants. Uh, reclamation is not a quick decision. It is a long planning process and it'll usually take a couple years to uh, reclaim a site because of the length of time to place the materials and grow the vegetation. And then the one of the final steps we have to do is monitor. So we can't just put the soil down, put the plants down, and then just leave it. We have to monitor and make sure that what we want to happen is actually occurring. And then if it doesn't, we go back and we make adjustments. So maybe we have to go back and plant different vegetation because what we planted first isn't working. So there's a big feedback loop with reclamation that's essential. We're not just leaving it alone and saying, we did fine. And uh, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about the Land Reclamation International Graduate School mm-hmm. um, because you're the, the creator of this, or what, what would your official <laughs> position be my, with that? My official position would be the director. The director, yeah. And, and yes, I, I am the, um, the person that was involved in getting it set up right from the beginning. Great. So tell yep. us about, uh, about what that is. So the Land Reclamation International Graduate School was an idea that we had to expose to open doors for students who would be interested in land reclamation. It used to be when, when it was started and, and certainly when I started getting into land reclamation, an area that students really weren't that familiar with. And so it was, how can we open, open these doors for students? There's so many interesting reclamation projects going on around the planet. And so we really wanted students to be aware of what was happening in other countries as well. So we may be a leader in one kind of reclamation. Germany may be a leader in another. Australia may be a leader in one. And so putting students into a position where they can talk to world reclamation practitioners and scientists and see what's happening was really important. And even just in our own backyard, uh, the school is meant to open doors for the public to see what we can do for industry to get more involved. Industry can support graduate students. So it was kind of a culmination of a whole bunch of different facets of land reclamation, but particularly the educational component of it and the experiential. And I was very excited to learn that it's the only program in the world. Is that true? I was very excited to (laughs) know it was the only (laughs) program in the world as well. So there's a a lot of different types of programs, land reclamation, schools, and and those sorts of things. But but nothing really like this in the sense that it takes the international perspective, but it also looks at several different layers of reclamation and, and students. So we welcome, even though it says graduate students, undergraduates are are welcome, graduate students, postdoctoral fellows, uh, anybody in the educational system that wants to learn more about reclamation. So what kind of what kind of jobs can somebody expect after taking this? Anything you want to be. So you could be, uh, depending on whether, of course, you're doing a PhD or a master's Mm -hmm. or an undergraduate degree, you could work in industry. So you could be part of a reclamation team, an environmental team in a company. You mentioned Suncor, uh, Syncrude, uh, an oil and gas company. You could work in government, uh, developing policy and making changes to the requirements that we have for reclamation. You could work with an NGO. You could work as a volunteer. 
just about anything. Consulting, academics. I shifted after doing the land reclamation program into communications. So sharing what we know about land reclamation to the public. So you can take what you learn with the Land Reclamation International Graduate School into any program. And one of the key things right now that we're doing is it's not only open to land reclamation students. It's open to any department, any faculty at the University of Alberta because it's not only land reclamation students who need to know about land reclamation. They've already drank the Kool-Aid. They know why it's important. (laughs) We want to encourage every faculty to have a role in this because it matters to everyone. So if we can help educate all different faculties, all students from all different areas, in the importance of land reclamation, then they incorporate it into their own experiences as they go out into any job. And Valerie raises an interesting point about being inclusive. So for example, when I first started working in land reclamation, the engineers and the land reclamation practitioners, it wasn't that we weren't agreeing with each other or we didn't get along. We didn't understand each other. And so when Valerie's talking about opening these doors and and I'm talking about that, for example, now I'm going to be part of a short course in December for engineering students and I'm talking about land reclamation. So people need who interface with land reclamation need to understand reclamation as well. So the engineers developing the um, plans for coal mining or mine closure need to understand what we need in reclamation. For example, the soil that we're going to need, how it needs to be replaced. So it's, it's that sharing of, of important aspects of reclamation, I would say. I think what's really standing out about what, what you're saying is, and maybe where my, my thought around things is changing, is that initially I think that I thought a uh, company comes in, they take everything out, and then the land reclamation heroes come in and save the day, where now it sounds like it's more of a conversation that starts from the from the start in a lot of situations, where you're working together, or at least there's that opportunity to work together, so that when they go in to do their work, it's already taken into consideration. Right, so in like most, if you come in before it's even disturbed. So oh, in, yeah. yeah. In most cases, it's required that you have a reclamation plan before a shovel goes in the ground. Wow. You so have, before you even get an approval. Yeah for a shovel to go in the ground. You have to have a reclamation plan. And that's not in all jurisdictions, but certainly that's what we're working towards. Because the better, if you think about creating a disturbance, and if you know what you need to do with the materials and what kind of reclamation is going to be taking place, then you can do a better disturbance if there is such a thing that makes it easier to reclaim in the end. There's also a concept of progressive reclamation that companies are shifting towards. So instead of you disturb an area for 20 years and then at the end of that you put it back to either what it was or something new, progressive reclamation is as you're disturbing it, you clean it up. So that way when a site closes down in 20 years, you've already reclaimed the majority of the area and you're only left with that final remaining bit. So you'll often see that in coal mining Uh, especially in places like Germany, the coal mine will shift over the farmland and it will be building back farmland as it goes and the coal mine will just keep moving forward. Hmm. And that's actually what we're doing here in Canada as well. The coal mines just outside of Edmonton, they all do that type of progressive reclamation. Hmm. That was actually what my next question was going to be. Uh, Just from your perspective, which is the expert in land reclamation, how is Alberta doing? Alberta is doing great. 
Uh, Alberta was certainly one of the leaders in land reclamation, the policy that we developed, the criteria that we developed, the, the requirements that industry had to follow. So we've always been a leader in reclamation and I think we're still doing really well. What, what happens sometimes is we see other jurisdictions that suddenly they're doing something maybe that we're not, mm -hmm. but we're working more together. And I would say Alberta is still doing a really good job and still continuing to be a leader in the field. We have a lot of commitment from industry. We have a lot of commitment from government. We have great programs in Alberta. We're talking about the uniqueness of the Land Reclamation International Graduate School. We also have the only undergraduate program in mm. land reclamation in Canada. And so that's all in Alberta and a very uh, important part of what we do, the educational aspect. That is very inspiring. That is really inspiring. That makes me very proud um, to know that that's Alberta-based and mm -hmm. that you're leading that conversation. I think that's incredible. So I, understandably, the science is probably always changing as well as, as the world changes. Can you talk a little bit about incorporating maybe the Indigenous perspective into land reclamation? Is that something that's taken into consideration? What's that relationship like? Uh, so before working for the land reclamation program, I was also a member of the land reclamation program and completed my PhD uh, building soils using mine waste in the Northwest Territories. And part of a component of that project was working with the First Nations in that area. Uh, so every year the mine would have traditional knowledge panels with the local communities where they'd come to the site and discuss the challenges that they're having and what they want to see. Uh, so I took part in some of those panels discussing what they want to see for the reclamation of the site so that it's a useful area for them again. We also had uh, First Nations camps on site where they would do testing using their methods. So going fishing and tasting the fish versus more Western science, which is measuring the metals. So we used both Western and First Nations experience to determine whether the site is damaging the environment and then what they want to see when we do close down the site, uh, what plants, what animals, what the land should look like so that they can use it again. Uh, and it was really inspiring to get to talk with people who actually live in that area on that land and use it uh, rather than just looking at the science. It's very inspiring. And uh, right now I'm, I'm just thinking, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this, they're probably thinking, okay, that, that sounds really big and amazing. But what can I do, or what on earth can I do, uh, to uh, on my level as as just mm -hmm. an everyday person to contribute right. to land reclamation? People what, who aren't out in coal mines. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what does that look like to everyday Albertan or beyond Alberta? So there would be a, a lot of things that people can do from an individual perspective. So it could start with, for example, making choices. So the choices for the providers that you have, where you buy your gas for your vehicle, the providers that you have for what you use to heat your home. And so if you're looking at those particular companies and you're, you're thinking about their environmental perspective, do they do good reclamation after their disturbances? Are they committed to uh, going above and beyond maybe what's required from a criteria perspective? So it's that kind of thing. And I, I think also one of the, the important parts of reclamation for me is the fact that we use waste materials. 
so I'm a great believer in keeping everything we can out of the landfills. And so part of the goal that I've always had as a reclamation professor, as an educator, as well as a practitioner, is use as much of these waste materials as we can. So we've had projects, for example, where we've taken composted drywall. When you think of all the drywall tidbits that are left after you renovate your basement or you do something in your home, and if that can be turned into a material that can go into the soil building that Valerie talked about mm -hmm. earlier. So even when we were sorting our garbage and we're, we're thinking, why am I doing this? It's kind of time consuming to do. Maybe some of that material is actually going to be able to be used in reclaiming land that has been disturbed. Uh, small scale things that people can do as well is, at, as Anne's talking about compost, using compost yourself, making your own compost and using it in your gardens rather than buying something like peat uh, from garden stores because peat has to be removed from another area so you are damaging another site to use in your own garden. So getting things like compost to grow rather than peat or other materials. Also getting involved in reclamation projects where you live. A lot of reclamation projects will have community days. So within the city, get involved in planting days. Go out and do tree planting or get involved in other kinds of planting. I have a question about one area of reclamation. As a kid, when a gas station closes down, it would stay empty for a long time. Is that <laughs> reclamation? Like White Avenue. Yeah. That is definitely reclamation, and it's a part of urban reclamation. And gas stations are probably one of the biggest areas that require reclamation in an urban setting. So often there's contaminants in a site uh, gas has spilled and particularly if it's one that has been around for a long long time and maybe the criteria the standards were not what they are today for example and so first of all you have to remediate that soil. You have to remove the contaminants. Some of those contaminants may re have far-reaching areas, so it's not just that little footprint that you see, but it might be under the areas adjacent to it. So there's often a lot of remediation that needs to take place. And then they have to fill the hole that's left there. They have to remove all the infrastructure. So it's, it's time consuming and each of those things usually takes a lot of steps. So if you see one that's sitting around for a long time, it likely is one where the remediation is taking a fair bit of time. What would you say the overall environmental impact of land reclamation would be? Uh, I think it's, it's essential. If we just left land after disturbances, it might eventually become something healthy over an extended period of time. We're shortening that healing period from hundreds of years to a much shorter time, maybe five years to 50 years rather than hundreds. So land reclamation plays an essential role. And in a lot of cases, it's a health role where contaminants have been distributed into the water, into the soil, into the air, we need land reclamation to remove that so that it doesn't uh, impact nearby communities, nearby habitat for species. So land reclamation is essential to ensure that our land is healthy and that we can be healthy on the land. And that's why having laws and regulations is so important and why the government of Alberta has created all of those rules is so that we are required to have a healthy earth for future generations. And, and I would say it's, it's critical. One visual way of thinking about it, if you um, 
look at the increasing population around the planet and that's growing every single day and so if the population continues to grow and we continue to use areas and we continue to disturb areas and we didn't do anything about it, then we are running out of a land base very, very quickly. So right now, approximately 50% of the Earth's land base is not being used to its full capacity because of mm. disturbances. And most of those disturbances emanate from human use. Some of them are natural, like landslides, you know, tornadoes, all sorts of weather kinds of um, disturbances, but most of them are from humans. And so if we didn't do land reclamation, we would be losing land faster than the population is growing. So it's important that we talk about what land reclamation is and why it's important and the role it can have uh, in the environment and in our own communities, which is why one of the main goals of the Land Reclamation International Graduate School is that communication component, both within the university educating grad students, undergrad students, postdocs about land reclamation, but also getting out into the community and sit, talking about what is land reclamation. Uh, if you're just an average citizen in an urban environment, put some pressure on the people who run your city and mm -hmm. say, we've got all this land that's just sitting around there and can't be used. You know, let's, let's reclaim it. Let's do something with it. I'd like to thank both Dr. Valerie Miller and Dr. Andeath for joining us here today. Um, if you'd like to learn more about the Land Reclamation International Graduate School, I highly recommend watching our Emerald Documentary Series video on them. Uh, you can also learn more about them on the Uni University of Alberta website and also on social media. They're also on Facebook at Land Reclamation International Graduate School and on Twitter at LRIGSUAlberta. So Colleen, that was something. That was something. I feel like I, I really learned something today. Something that seemed really scary is actually very approachable. I had no idea what land reclamation was, and I thought it was so confusing, but it's actually way simpler than I thought it was. And now I feel when I'm walking down the street, I'll, <laughs> I'll be that guy who's like, that's land reclamation, <laughs> and that's land reclamation. So what are you going to do? Uh, what on earth are you going to do, Colleen? Yes. Oh, yeah. We'll forward think for this one for sure. But I think, and I've already started continuing with composting. Mm, I think great. that was the one thing that I thought, all right, I already knew it was important. Now I know it's even more important. And also maybe become a little bit more of a informed consumer. Mm. So maybe I'll start looking into uh, what some of these businesses do, you know, where I take my car and get gas, uh, what they do for land reclamation. So I'm going to do a little Google searching. That's really great. I think what I'm going to start looking into a little bit more, uh, there's a really amazing organization through the city of Edmonton called Roots for Trees. They've actually received an Emerald Award it was a couple years ago now for their work and we've actually uh, had an event with them where we went out and planted trees but I, I think just uh, looking for those volunteer opportunities where maybe I can go and spend an afternoon and contribute to land reclamation by planting something or cleaning something up or I, I also love the compost idea that mm -hmm. that seems to be a theme that's coming up awesome and then we'll be able to call ourselves earth doctors um, maybe not doctors but like 
Earth candy stripers. You know, we're we're helping the cause, but <laughs> we're not call. experts Good on call. it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think that's a wrap. The What on Earth Can We Do podcast is presented by the Alberta Emerald Foundation and features Emerald Awards recipients. Learn more about our guests' inspiring work through the Emerald documentary series, available on our website, emeraldfoundation.ca. And if you enjoyed What on Earth Can We Do, please make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with us on Instagram and Twitter at whatonearth underscore pod. Know an Albertan eco-hero who is raising the bar in environmental excellence? Nominate them for an Emerald Award. Nominations are open annually from November 1st until mid-February on our website. We would like to thank the Edmonton Community Foundation for their support in bringing this podcast to life. We would also like to thank our Emerald Award sponsors, ABCRC, the Alberta Real Estate Foundation, City of Calgary, City of Edmonton, Government of Alberta, and Syncrude Canada Limited for their ongoing support. Next time on What on Earth Can We Do? We find out that out of sight doesn't necessarily mean out of mind when it comes to sending waste to the landfill.